Hello, and welcome to Tuesdays at APA Chicago, our monthly after-hours lecture series held at APA's Burnham Conference Center. My name is David Morley. I'm a research associate at APA and host of Tuesdays at APA Chicago. Information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. Selected past programs are also available as podcasts. See the APA website for additional details. Tonight we have with us Bradley Roback from the City of Chicago. Brad is a member of the Sustainable Development Team within the City of Chicago's Bureau of Planning and Zoning, which is one of three bureaus in the Department of Housing and Economic Development. In his work with the city, Brad is primarily focused on food policy, urban agriculture, and incorporating food into local land use planning projects. More than half of Chicago adults and one-third of youth are overweight or obese, meaning that they are at increased risk for serious, costly health problems such as heart disease and diabetes. A key focus in the city's obesity prevention effort is improving access to healthy food. To this end, the City of Chicago is developing a new food plan through a partnership that includes the Departments of Housing and Economic Development, Public Health, and Family and Support Services. In addition, the Consortium to Lower Obesity in Chicago Children and many stakeholders that include individuals and organizations representing health and food-related issues. Brad is here tonight to discuss the process of developing the plan and highlight strategies that seek to increase the production and distribution of healthy food improve access to healthier food, build demand and increase consumption of healthy food, and capitalize on opportunities for job creation and economic development. Please join me in welcoming Brad Roback. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. And thank all, thank all of you for coming to hear me talk about the Healthy Food Chicago plan. Um, I just want to make sure you can hear me through the microphone. Everybody can hear. Great. Um, so, as David mentioned, I work in the Department of Housing and Economic Development, and uh, it's sort of a large umbrella group that was the former planning department, elements of housing, and our economic development uh, finance folks are now kind of all under one department. We also have zoning involved in that. And my major role there, as David said, was to work on food policy, and specifically, I've been working on the food plan for the last year or so. Um, and I just want to kind of start off by saying that this is still a draft plan. Um, we are still developing the policies and recommendations and everything that's going to go along with it. So uh, I just wanted to get that out there. It's going to hopefully be posted on our website, which is www.healthyplaceschicago.org. It's in the presentation a couple of times, so you don't necessarily have to write it down now. But we are going to be looking for another round of feedback. And then eventually, we're hoping to put this in front of the Plan Commission, the Chicago Plan Commission, and get this adopted as city policy. But all of this stuff is still being developed. And uh, I'll uh, get started here in just a sec. So the food plan itself is part of the Healthy Places Initiative. And that's a broad initiative that was funded by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, and it focuses, among other things, on food and the food plan for Chicago, but also increasing physical activity around the city, um, incorporating baby-friendly hospitals in the city, and all sorts of other things related primarily to obesity prevention. So this is a part of that overall grant. Um, and really, it's looking at food and its relationship with obesity. And uh, really, this is where health and planning sort of intersect. And uh, that, to me, and I think to a lot of the participants, has been the exciting part. We've been able to sit down with uh, other you know, colleagues in the health-related field and kind of mix ideas. And it's just been a really good and refreshing planning process, I think, for everybody involved. Um, so uh, I just want to say that we've kind of been developing this over the last year, and we've had several meetings, and I'm going to get into all of that. It's sort of building on some recent planning projects that have occurred. Uh, Chicago did a plan back in 2007 called the Eat Local, Live Healthy Plan. Uh, and then there was the regional plan, Go to 2040, which also included a chapter on uh, local food systems. And those two plans were primarily focused on local food. Uh, health was mentioned in, in them, but um, really this plan is focused on health, food, and how they relate to obesity. Uh, so. As I mentioned before, there were several meetings over the last year. Uh, it's really been a planning journey for us, uh, as well as a planning process. We have a couple of people who have uh, participated in that planning process. 
So, uh, you know, we're grateful for all the people that turned out to these meetings. Uh, there were about 26 meetings that were held over the course of the year. Uh, we reached about 400 individuals. So we held um, uh, stakeholder and working group meetings over the course of the year, and it involved planners, uh, representatives from the nonprofit community interested in both food and health issues. Uh, there were advocates that came. There were farmers, social workers, uh, all sorts of folks that came out to talk about food and uh, talk about the plan. During those meetings, we uh, asked a lot of questions and had a lot of discussions, and they helped define things like the values we had going into the planning process, um, our vision, which was developed from there, and then uh, eventually the strategies and the draft strategies that I'm going to talk about today. Uh, we also had a public engagement working group that worked with us uh, kind of as a bridge between the community as we developed the uh, public forums that we held around the city. We held five regional forums where people could come and hear uh, you know, get an overview of the plan process, get an overview of the things we talked about. Um, so the public engagement working group was instrumental in kind of helping us set that up. Um, so during those five public forums, those were attended sort of by a different group of folks. We had a lot of res residents that came out and wanted to hear what was going on with that. Um, we also had a lot of advocates that uh, also came to talk about farming and things like that. But it was really great to hear basically about communities and hear about the issues, uh, food issues that were going on in the communities around the city. Um, and from all of that, we drafted the strategies and some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about tonight. Um, but first, let's kind of get into the planning problem as we've defined it for this particular plan. Uh, really, we're focused on obesity, and obesity is an epidemic that's raging across the country as well as here in Chicago. Um, it contributes to a lot of different diseases and conditions, uh, diabetes being one of the most notable, but also several other things. And it's also extremely costly to our economy. A lot of money is spent on treating folks with this, these types of diseases and conditions. So um, we really want to focus in and work with all sorts of folks to try and uh, help uh, address this issue. So I'm going to run through a couple of maps that I'm sure most of you have seen. Uh, these are from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and they specifically relate to obesity rates across the country. Um, back in the 80s, the CDC started tracking this data. Um, they didn't have data for all the states over all those years, but you can clearly see that, that if you uh, go to their website, you can run through, I think, beginning in 1987 or 1989 and run through all of these maps. Um, but here we're going to start at 1990. And basically, you can see from this map that at this point in time, all the states that they had data for were hovering in the realm of 10% to 19%, somewhere in there. But they were all under 20%. Um, when you fast forward 20 years, uh, you start to see the spread of this disease kind of going across the nation. So at this point in 2010, all states are really around the 25% level, and actually 12 states are over 30%. And this is you know, an obesity uh, measure, and this is basically looking at body mass index above 30 or uh, more than 30 pounds overweight. Um, so you can see that this really takes on a whole new dimension, and it is reaching ep epidemic scales. And what a lot of research has shown is that it disproportionately affects minority and low-income populations as well. So these are things that we are all trying to think about and come to terms with. So what type of epidemic is obesity? There's a lot of new research coming out that's talking about it in a different way. Uh, we know it's a non-communicable disease, um, <clears throat> but it's also been shown in some studies, some recent studies, to be a disease of place and environment. Uh, I put this graphic in from a, a study that was done uh, out of, uh, I think, the... Um, this, uh, New York, out of New York, uh, and it basically shows the expansion of obesity across the, the United States. But really what's, what's being focused on is that this is a disease of environment and place. Um, and actually, another study coming out of New York, which was their obesity task force, also found similar things. Uh, they asked for recommendations from the different departments that can kind of impact uh, obesity-related issues. And one of their findings was that obesity is an environmental disease. And they came together to kind of promote some strategies that the New York City can deal with. So 
Um, this was one of those instances we found uh, something that came out of the, the health professional's input into the process. Uh, this is the Center for Disease Control and Prevention Health Intervention Strategies Pyramid, and it basically shows um, you know, the effectiveness of different health interventions on public health issues. Um, so what we really are you know, kind of focusing on here is um, you know, this is where the health and the planning sort of interact. Um, so the CDC developed this to kind of show what types of, uh, what, what types of impact different intervention strategies can have. And uh, first off, we're just acknowledging that changing one's socioeconomic status is probably the most effective way of dealing with many other health uh, issues, but also obesity. However, obesity also goes across different types of socioeconomic lines, so it can affect rich and poor in, in similar ways. But you know, this is not really a plan that focuses on uh, uh, poverty. It, it focuses on obesity, and that's one of the things we're recognizing. Um, clinical interventions are not necessarily practical. There's been some pills that have been developed to help combat obesity, but we don't feel that's a practical planning uh, perspective to kind of address uh, the issue. Uh, there's also long, no long-lasting um, interventions such as immunizations and things like that as well. Uh, they're not really practical to implement from a planning perspective. Um, counseling and education is usually the thing <clears throat> that most people focus on as we were moving through the process and people talk about that. But as you can see from this particular way of thinking, those are generally the least effective ways to reach people. And you know they definitely have a place and we address them in the plan, but they tend to reach smaller populations. So what we're really focusing on this particular plan is changing the context, uh, really changing the environment within our neighborhoods and making it easier for people to make healthier choices. Um, and actually, that's uh, pretty much what the CDC funded in Chicago. Uh, they're looking at uh, ways to um, you know, change the context, context of environments and change the environments in the neighborhood. And what we did was we're developing strategies to do that. Uh, so going back to our pyramid, uh, we developed six strategies in this plan, draft strategies at this point, and uh, five of them deal with changing the context. So we're really looking at building healthier neighborhoods around Chicago, growing more food in the city, uh, expanding food enterprises, enhancing the food safety net, and uh, serving healthy food at meetings and events and things like that. I'm going to go over each one of these in detail. Um, and then the sixth strategy really focuses on the counseling and education piece to this. So really getting in the one-on-one -on -one or getting into small populations and working with nutrition education and all sorts of other things along those lines. So um, jumping into the first draft strategy, really this is uh, building healthier neighborhoods. And what we're hoping to do is focus uh, the planning and programmatic resources in communities that we're uh, measuring and defining as those communities with obesity-related health disparities. Um, and what we've been doing to measure that is uh, get, taking a look at a mix of different types of data like food access, um, you know, proximity to a grocery store, looking at things like SNAP enrollment across the city, uh, as well as uh, disease indicators like diabetes rates, and looking to see where these types of things overlap so that we can target some of our resources on those communities. Um, and we're recommending that we, uh, you know, we target these communities with planning efforts and other programmatic resources, which is kind of building on some of the plans that we've done in the past um, this is an example of planning by the community area. Uh, it's the city space plan that was developed in 1998, and it uh, measured open space by community area. And it really identified those communities that uh, have, are, are, are underserved with relation to open space. So we're basing these uh, measurements on community areas around Chicago. Um, and community areas, as I'm sure most of you know, are those uh, things in Chicago that were developed back in the 20s by U of C sociologists to kind of figure out a better way to track sociological data. Um, one of the things that came out of uh, the city space plan were local community plans that sought to address the issue of areas that are underserved by open space. So Logan Square was one of the communities that had the lowest amount of open space per capita. And out of the city space plan came the Logan Square open space plan. 
Uh, so it was a localized plan that looked at that particular problem. And out of the Logan Square open space plan came several projects. And one of those is the Bloomingdale Trail, which is a linear park running through sort of the south end of Logan Square, north end of Humboldt Park. It's, um, it's a park that's planned and a trail that's planned on an old uh, railroad embankment um, that can you know, really have an impact on how much open space there is in the area. So that's a good project example in Logan Square. Sort of shifting to Little Village, um, this was also one of the communities that was defined as one of the most underserved in Chicago. And out of the city-based plan came this uh, idea for a project for a 20-acre new open space. And it's basically on an old industrial piece of property. I guess you could call it a brownfield. Uh, it was an area that was... Uh, contaminated, the cleanup was done, and it's actually interesting when you go out there, the soil is raised up about four feet, so it kind of stands out in the community, but it's a nice 20-acre uh, park that will be developed over the next few years and will provide open space in the little village area, which I think is actually the Lower West Side community area. Um, so that was another example that came out of city space. Sort of going further back in Chicago's history, the Hull House did a bunch to deal with open space as well. So this was a map that came right off the Hull House website that looked at actual diseases that were affecting um, the city and diseases and conditions. So you're looking here at uh, infant mortality related to diphtheria and typhoid and juvenile crime. So they mapped all this stuff, and they also started thinking about different ways that they could treat the problem, which uh, had to do with kids playing in alleys. Uh, they were out there. There was not a lot of open space and playgrounds for them to play in. So they're out in an alley. It's very dirty. They're unsupervised. There's unstructured play going on. Um, so the, the thought was to address that problem by developing public playgrounds, open spaces, field houses that people could access that had structured activities. Um, they also were a clean and you know, safe environment that children could play in. Um, and again, this was a whole house inno innovation. So our draft strategies that we're recommending through this plan are really to develop and analyze the data that is related to obesity-related health disparities. So the city's been doing some of that, and I'm going to get into uh, some of the recent examples that uh, we have of this. But what we want to do is collect that data, analyze it, and make it publicly available so that people can see the data. They can also, uh, if, you're, if researchers or other people that are interested in the topic, can download the data and kind of um, do their thing. Um, we want to use this data to identify priority community areas within the city that have obesity-related health disparities. And then what we want to do is incorporate sort of this obesity prevention research and some of the strategies that are being proposed through the public health community as well as through the planning community and really that are rooted in the obesity prevention uh, research. And those can include things like increasing healthy food retail options, uh, new food enterprises such as urban farms, uh, you know, healthy food production uh, businesses, and then food growing uh, as well as uh, on some of the vacant property in, in these areas. Now, a lot of those themes are covered later in, in the presentation and later in the plans, but I'm not going to get into those in detail right now. So uh, as I mentioned, oh, I'm sorry, uh, the partners in this, uh, the leads, are going to be our department, the Department of Housing and Economic Development, as well as the Department of Public Health. And we've also been working with CMAP on a couple of projects, which I'm going to talk about here in a second. Uh, we're going to have to partner with civic organizations and nonprofits that actually work in communities that we would be working in. Uh, now, some current examples of this are the, the city data collection and the data analysis. We've been mapping a lot of this data. Uh, it was sort of kicked off when Mayor Emanuel came into office. He asked us to come up with a strategy to calculate uh, grocery um, access to grocery stores. And we came up with a simple way to look at grocery locations and determine what parts of the city are underserved. Um, relative to uh, being a half mile from a grocery store. But what we've been doing is sort of layering on different levels of data, different types of data on top of that. I had mentioned a couple of them earlier. We're looking at SNAP enrollment and maybe other indicators of poverty. We're also looking at um, uh, other health indicators like diabetes rates. Uh, those happen to be ready and available through the Department of Public Health. But there's also some plans in the works to collect other types of obesity-related health data that we can then you know, funnel into this process of identifying community areas around the city that we want to focus on. Uh, as I mentioned before, we were working with CMAP. Uh, 
in, uh, on a project called Green Healthy Neighborhoods. It's focused really on sort of the greater Englewood, which includes the community areas, Englewood and West Englewood, uh, Woodlawn, Washington Park, sort of part of New City, the southern half of New City, and then uh, also part of Greater Grand Crossing and a couple of other smaller pieces of community areas. And it's really looking at a part of the city that ex has experienced a lot of population loss and there's a lot of vacant property there. And what we're looking at is focusing our planning efforts to figure out how we can reuse uh, some of the vacant property there and help to stem the issue of population loss and kind of stabilize the neighborhoods. But then there's a big food component and health component of that. How do we get people more active in the area? How do we get more healthy food into the area? And how do we kind of use healthy food to stimulate economic development and get more jobs for the community? Um, and we've been partnering with CMAP and we're looking to possibly do some other uh, project in different areas. Oops, I missed a click. All right, so the second draft strategy is growing more food in Chicago. How do we do that? How do we activate property that's vacant and you know, in, in a bad condition and grow more food on the site? Uh, so what we're talking about really is creating a system of productive landscapes. And there's some examples of this in history as well. So everybody, I think, has heard of Victory Gardens. These are really a response to another type of crisis, the World War, uh, you know, responding to the lack of food being available. A lot of the food was being diverted to the war effort. It was hard to move things around on our existing infrastructure system. So people sort of responded by growing a lot of their own food in these Victory Gardens. Um, we also are seeing this in other types of urban agriculture that are happening more recently. Um, <clears throat> in the uh, face of the, uh, the obesity crisis, as well as in neighborhoods that do have a lot of vacant property or that may be blighted or something like that, neighborhood organizations, actual residents, uh, nonprofit organizations have been coming together to kind of grow food on these vacant lots. So we're seeing the, that sort of thing happening already. Um, <clears throat> looking back uh, further into the past, Jens Jensen put together uh, what's, what's called the Greater West Park System Plan back in 1919. And we're hoping to build upon some of the ideas he had here. Uh, one of those was to put market kitchens uh, within park spaces. And so this was already being considered back at the turn of the century. And so I think he recognized the, um, the importance of growing food in public spaces. And uh, he actually came up with some sketches of specific community gardens sort of surrounded by orchards. So there's definitely some, uh, some stuff to build upon here. Uh, so getting into the draft recommendations, as I said before, we're looking at creating new systems of productive landscapes. And specifically, we want to look at, uh, we're proposing to create a system of these large-scale urban agriculture sites that could be developed on city-owned property and sort of protected in a way using some of the existing mechanisms that we have. Um, but we're looking at having these, uh, these properties grow food at a larger scale, either for sale or for job training or for you know, food-related educational purposes, but really creating the system of these large spaces around the city. Um, we want to ex expand and enhance the systems that are surrounding community and school gardens. Uh, so not only developing new gardens, but also coming up with ways to support existing community gardens, existing school gardens that are out there. Uh, there were some programs that uh, had uh, been around in the past, like uh, Green Corps and other support systems that maybe are losing funding or just aren't around anymore. So we really got to kind of come up with new ways to support these types of ventures. Um, we want to get people to grow more food in their yards, so private spaces around the city. I think that's a thing that gets overlooked quite a bit, but using private property to grow more food, encouraging people to learn about healthy food, to grow more of the food that they're going to eat within their private spaces. Uh, that can be in backyards, it can be in front yards, it can be on rooftops and uh, you know, on the back porch, on your windowsill, whatever, whatever that may be. But we want to really encourage people to do that sort of thing. Uh, unfortunately, contamination is a problem in Chicago. Most of the land here that's vacant is contaminated in some way, shape, or form. So we need to come up with best practices to deal with that contamination. Uh, it can get very costly to test for these types of things and um, to remediate or mitigate uh, the contamination that may be there. So we want to draw upon the experience of folks uh, that have been involved in this sort of thing, as well as develop sort of a mechanism for cleaning uh, property that's going to be used for food and make it safe for people to work there and safe for people to eat the food that's grown there. And then lastly in this one is to collect data on urban food production. Uh, there's some efforts that are going on currently, but really what we want to do is kind of track 
who's growing food, where are they growing it, how much is produced, and uh, who's you know, using the food. Is it going for personal use? Is it going to a food bank? Is it being sold? You know, we want to track some of this data that's out there to get a better idea of how these spaces are being used. Um, our department is going to be the lead on that, as well as uh, you know, working with our sister agency, the Chicago Park District, Chicago Public Schools for school gardens, uh, as well as NeighborSpace, which is a local nonprofit land trust that we've worked with to set up many community-managed open spaces in Chicago. It's a vehicle that we can use to transfer city land to an organization, which then partners with a community organization to keep the land maintained. And through that relationship, we can protect the land and keep it as uh, community-managed open spaces. We're also going to partner with citywide and community-based organizations as well on this one. Some current examples of what's happening. I mentioned we're working around the city to set up community gardens, but we've also been building urban farms in Chicago. Uh, This is something that's been going on. We've been taking city-owned vacant property, working with communities, uh, the residents and uh, organizations that are active in the communities, and working with farmers to actually develop the sites so that they become urban ag sites. And actually, along the bottom here, you can see a picture of one of those sites. It's the Perry Street Farm. We um, worked with uh, the Resource Center and the Washington Park Consortium to develop this. Uh, The city actually spent money to uh, test and clean the soil. There was some contamination there. And uh, we put down a clay cap on top of this to kind of act as a barrier between the contaminated soil, and it helps with some of the stormwater collection. Uh, And we put a fence around it, and even though it doesn't look like it from the picture, the sidewalks did get replaced in certain parts. Uh, And basically, we improved the site. And the site before this was actually a former public school that had been shut down. The building was demolished, and the site was contaminated. Um, So we were able to spend money on that. A couple of other examples would be uh, in Inglewood. Uh, We worked with Growing Home. Uh, They have two farms now uh, on the south side there, uh, right along 58th and 59th Street. They set up the first city, uh, growing home site at Woods, the Wood Street Farm where they uh, took city-owned property and converted it into a, a beautiful urban farm with a very nice uh, interpretive center and building where they can kind of clean the vegetables they grow. And there's several hoop houses and growing beds there. And then we worked with them to develop an expansion site sort of across uh, old abandoned railroad right-of-way just to the south of their existing site. And it sort of went from about a half acre at the Wood Street Farm to the Honoré Farm, which added about an acre of production space to their, um, their arsenal there. So they now have about an acre and a half in production. And so we did a similar sort of treatment where we identified city-owned property. We put down a barrier. It wasn't clay. It was stone. We tested and remediated the soil and uh, helped them you know, develop that into a farm. We're also working with the Angelic Organics Learning Center, uh, as well as the Center for Urban Transformation uh, and some other local organizations in Englewood at uh, uh, an area right next to a school. Uh, it's at 71st and Princeton. It's called the Eat to Live Farm. And it's going to be sort of an um, urban farm plus a set of community gardens that are right next to the school. And it's going to in, in, integrate you know, community education, but also be a space for people to grow food, sort of an incubator almost uh, farm a place to get healthy food into the neighborhood. So there's several examples of this happening. And um, you know, we're going to continue to do this over, over the next few years and further. Uh, and then getting into the data collection piece, NeighborSpace and DePaul University and some other groups got a grant, a seed grant from CLOCK, which is the consortium to lower obesity in Chicago children, uh, to do some of the data collection that I mentioned before. So some of this stuff is in the works. And what we want to do is kind of build upon that. So the third draft strategy is expanding food enterprises. And this really gets into sort of the business side. You know, how can healthy food create jobs and stimulate economic development in areas that can can certainly use it? So really we're talking about supporting businesses and social enterprises that produce and deliver healthy food to Chicago's neighborhoods. Um, And that can be anything from growing food to value-added production to uh, retailers and things along those lines. So what we want to do is try and uh, target um, some of the tools that we have available as a city government to help help, uh, stimulate these types of developments in neighborhoods that we're we're working in. Um, And really, it can be anything, you know, it can be food processing, it can be growing food. um, But really, we want to focus on the healthy food aspect of that. Uh, 
Um, we want to expand the number and variety of healthy food retail options in neighborhoods. So really what we're focusing on is how do we get more options into neighborhoods that need them. So whether that's through a grocery store, whether that's through a farmer's market, whether that's through a corner store, we want to have more options around the city. Uh, there's definitely some modernization that has to happen with regulations. A lot of the technology around urban food production is changing fairly rapidly. There's all sorts of different business models that are out there, so the city needs to kind of take a look at its regulations and think about ways that we can support businesses through that. And there's definitely been a lot of that going on. I'm going to talk about some of the current examples, but that's one of the draft recommendations that we're, we're throwing out there. And then we also want to partner with uh, other food growers in the Midwest region. So we want to go into the collar counties and then further out uh, you know, to Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, and make some of the regional connections to farms and other companies that deliver healthy food to the city. And hopefully there'll be some economic development opportunities in there. That's another area that the city uh, Department of Housing and Economic Development will lead in. Uh, we'll also be working with the mayor's office and other departments to kind of coordinate those efforts. And then we're proposing that we'll have to partner with the private sector and social enterprises, obviously the businesses and social enterprises that will be doing this sort of thing. So uh, some of the current examples that I mentioned, um, Mayor Emanuel has definitely uh, has a food interest. I think that's evident from a lot of the things that he's been doing. Um, he worked, uh, when he first came into office, he called together a group of grocery store executives to kind of come up with a strategy to develop more or get more healthy food into neighborhoods. And he actually got them to commit to build new stores or expand services in existing stores near or close to uh, some of the uh, underserved areas in Chicago. Um, he, there, he was also instrumental in helping us pass through the zoning amendment that allowed urban agriculture uses and clearly defined those uses and sort of expanded or, or made more flexible regulations for those uses. Um, now you are able to do either an urban farm or a community garden in Chicago. It's clearly defined in our ordinance. It actually calls out some innovative uh, uh, food production techniques like hydroponics and aquaponics growing. Uh, it also allows bees to be kept on site. So that was very instrumental in helping us to develop some of these farm sites I mentioned earlier. Um, he also was uh, working with the city council and got uh, them to adopt a new licensing structure, which basically reduced the amount of licenses across the city, and it will hopefully reduce the amount of time that businesses have to spend applying for licenses and reduce the costs associated with that. And then he also was instrumental in creating a new uh, business license for mobile produce merchants. So basically now you can sell produce, un uncut fresh produce from non-motorized carts around the city. Um, so there's definitely some examples that we can build in and kind of enhance. Uh, then kind of shifting gears, um, we're getting away from sort of the business side to more of the food safety net side. Uh, so what we want to do is ensure that all residents have options for healthy food no matter what their income level would be. Um, and the food safety net really has many components. Uh, you have um, food benefits, benefit programs like LINK and WIC. Those uh, LINK is, or SNAP, which is the food, food stamp program, former food stamp program. So you have that sort of aspect to the food safety net. But you also have food pantries and other types of delivery systems where people can go and pick up healthy food even though they can't afford it. And then you also have meal programs across the city, such as the summer meal program, school lunches and breakfasts, uh, senior meals, and all sorts of things that the city actually sponsors food and, and serves meals. Um, so, uh, you know, looking sort of at current events in, in food safety net, so SNAP caseloads have been increasing, and that's most likely due to the, you know, the state of the economy. And then there was a report put out by the Greater Chicagoland, Chicago Food Depository about food security, and it actually said that one in five Chicagoans are food insecure. So now more than ever, we need to make sure that the, the food uh, safety net is uh, working properly and getting better. Uh, so some of the draft recommendations that we're putting out there. Um, so for those programs that actually serve meals, we want to make sure that there's high, higher nutritional st uh, standards for those programs. So at school lunches, at um, you know, uh, senior meals, we want to make sure that we're serving more healthy food at those programs. There's some good examples of that. A CPS you know, adopted some higher, higher nutrition standards, but we want to definitely look at that. Um, we want to try and coordinate and expand food rescue efforts. 
Um, so rescuing food that would normally go into the waste stream from grocery stores or from restaurants and getting that food out of the waste stream and into the, you know, uh, into the hands of people that need it. Uh, we want to work to develop maps and websites to make sure that people know where food assistance programs are available. Uh, we want to try and expand the use of link cards and other incentive programs at healthy food retail options. So whether that's at farmer's markets, making sure they accept the link card, or whether that's at corner stores, making sure that you know, where you can buy healthy food, you can also use the link benefits. And then we want to try and connect more residents to those benefits, working with our state uh, agencies, federal agencies, to try and make it easier for people to access food benefit programs like Link, uh, or SNAP, and, and WIC. Uh, so the leads on that is really, uh, they're going to be the Department of Family and Support Services, Chicago Public Schools, obviously they serve a lot of meals, uh, and uh, other nonprofits like Greater Chicago Food Depository and Catholic Charities, which administers the WIC program in Chicago. But we'll also, as, as in the other uh, draft strategies, we're going to have to partner with community organizations and other, other nonprofits across the city, as well as foundations. So some of the current examples of, uh, of these things, uh, really the, uh, the city's mobile food, uh, food pantry program, they operate uh, 30 sites around the city with the Greater Chicago Food Depository, and they actually distribute uh, some healthy food at those, air, at those uh, sites. Um, the city funds about 60 homeless shelter programs that serve fresh food and vegetables uh, on a biweekly basis. And uh, there's, there were five farm, new farmer's markets started up on the west side just recently. Uh, all of those except Link, and we've partnered with uh, the Link Up program, which is being administered by Experimental Station. It's, uh, the Link Up program is actually active at 10 other uh, uh, farmer's market sites across the city. So serving healthy food and beverages is the fifth draft strategy. So really what we want to do is lead by example and serve healthier food and beverages at uh, city-sponsored events. Um, and we want to encourage other types of organizations like faith-based groups, community organizations, and actually the private sector to serve healthier food at those, the, the events that they sponsor or the different, uh, different venues that they have. Uh, some of the draft recommendations that we're looking at are developing healthy food policies for the city. So if the city is sponsoring an event or a meeting, that there's a requirement that we serve some sort of healthy food option. We're still working on the details, but that would be a way that the city can lead by example uh, doing that. Um, we want to encourage uh, community and faith-based organizations to do the same thing, as well as private companies and uh, other organizations to serve healthier food at, say, um, uh, cafeterias or events that they sponsor. Uh, and then we want to look at ways that we can get people to drink more water. Uh, that's a sort of an emerging um, uh, intervention strategy, is to get people to drink more water rather than other types of liquids. Uh, so what we want to do is look at the way that the water is distributed around the city. So we want to assess the infrastructure um, at you know public spaces, public schools, things along those lines, at parks and really try and expand the opportunity for people to get water in public spaces. So eventually, uh, the leads on this would be the Department of Public Health, Family and Support Services, um, Cultural Affairs and Special Events, because they do a lot of the special event programming around the city. And then the Department of Housing and Economic Development would be involved in the, the last uh, recommendation here. Um, but we would also have to partner with other city departments, like our Department of Water, who actually delivers the water around the city. Um, as well as other agencies, uh, nonprofit organizations, and the like around Chicago. Uh, so, some current examples of healthier food being served. Uh, the Park District actually has food guidelines for meetings and events at their uh, at their spaces, at least the ones sponsored by the Park District. Um, we can also look to the pub, uh, nonprofit sector. The YMCA of Chicago is adopting you know healthier nutrition standards for. Um, snacks that are served at their programs. And then also there's some, uh, some efforts underway around Chicago to actually encourage more uh, water consumption. Uh, that, that picture down at the lower right is actually uh, references uh, Midway Airport. Uh, if you go to Midway Airport, you'll see some uh, spaces where you can put your water bottle in there and actually fill up with tap water. It might be filtered at some point. But um, there's also some private examples. Loyola University, I think, is also looking at doing this at some of their uh, sites. So there's definitely some 
examples. I was in Toronto a few weeks ago, or two weeks ago, and they actually were doing this at the university that uh, had the conference I was attending. They actually had water, water bottle filling stations around the, the, the campus, and you could actually buy a water, an empty water bottle for like 50 Canadian cents or something out of a vending machine, so you could actually get the water bottle and fill it up there. Um, so that's definitely something we want to try and build on. So those are the five draft strategies that really focus on changing the context within, within uh, local environments and neighborhoods. The sixth strategy really focuses on improving eating habits, and this is where we get into things like nutrition education and other types of things. Uh, but we, what we want to do is help people discover tasty and nutritious foods. Um, and there's some uh, draft recommendations that we're throwing out here. Um, the first is to really focus on nutrition education at all ages at a variety of different locations. So not only at schools, but also partnering with nonprofit groups to have adult nutrition education classes, um, you know, nutrition education classes at faith-based organizations, things along those lines. Uh, and what we want to do is also try and develop a marketing campaign that really focuses on healthy eating and drinking more water uh, and, you know, instead of sugary beverages and things like that. So the leads on that are going to be the Departments of Public Health and Family and Support Services, uh, the Chicago Public Schools, and then also the Chicago Park District. And again, we're going to have to partner with uh, citywide and neighborhood organizations to kind of implement those strategies. Some current examples of uh, these types of programs would be that the Board of Health uh, adopted um, child care center guidelines for um, uh, you know, to increase, to improve nutrition standards at uh, some of the city uh, child care centers. Um, there is a media campaign that's going on um, that's called uh, 54321 Go. That's an initiative of CLOCK. Uh, and there's the Healthy Places media campaign that's going on currently that's part of the Healthy Places initiative. You may have seen some uh, signs within the buses or trains. You might have heard a spot on the radio that talked about the Healthy Places campaign. That's happening. And then uh, groups like the Peterson Garden Project um, you know, are doing workshops. And uh, there's definitely other groups that are doing that. But they're doing workshops to kind of tr uh, teach people about uh, food, healthy food, and also how to grow healthy food as well. So uh, all of these draft strategies really kind of focus on the food vision that we have for Chicago. And this was developed through uh, the stakeholder and working groups that uh, meetings that happened. It also came out of some of the, the feedback that we got from the public forums. And I'm not going to read this, but, but basically it's really saying that healthy food is going to play a central role in the city. Um, it's going to play a role in uh, families and communities around Chicago, and what we're hoping is that it creates a stronger city. Uh, we want to make sure that we develop more and make backyard and community gardens, urban farms, and healthy food enterprises. Uh, we help to develop those across the city, uh, and that we support a culture that values fresh and nutritious food. Uh, we want to partner with schools and community organizations, and that the government itself will promote healthy eating habits. And then that we make sure that every neighborhood has healthy food options and that they're available to people no matter what they make or where they live. Um, so those draft strategies will support the vision, and the vision in turn kind of is filtered through the draft strategies that are there. Um, so moving on to, I guess, the next steps for the plan. Uh, so we've had this year-long planning process, and what we're doing currently is taking all of the information that we've collected through these meetings, and we've hired a writer, and we're working on drafting the actual plan. Uh, so what we're hoping to do is post a, a draft of that plan on our website, which is healthyplaceschicago.org. And what you can do is download a copy of that written plan, and we're looking for another round of comments from the stakeholders, uh, anybody that took part in the planning process, but certainly even for those, from those people that did not take part in the planning process. It's definitely something that we want more feedback on. Uh, and then the ultimate goal of developing this plan is to get it in front of the Chicago Plan Commission. And we're looking to do that sometime this fall. So once we gather all the comments uh, after we post the draft plan, we're going to take it and then try and figure out how we can finalize the plan, get it in front of plan commission so that it can become official city policy. And once that happens, we can then start to 
institute you know different work plans for uh, departments around the city we can get that into our you know standard operating procedure and kind of work on the goals uh, and and uh, implement the recommendations that are in here and again we're hoping to do that uh, some point during the fall um, of this year so with that, I would just like to open it up for questions, if anybody has any. Thanks, Brad. Let's have a round of applause. And just as a reminder, since we're recording this for a podcast, just put your hand up and I'll come to you, and then you can ask your question. So don't be shy. So this question comes to a city kid who doesn't know anything about farming. What do you do between November and February to prompt people who are interested? Because obviously the, the growing cycle is a little bit of a lull. Uh, just a question because, you know, you want to get them involved in it, but sooner or later, since we're all like instant gratification, well, we can't do it now because weather's bad. So what do you do to, I guess, uh, educate people on that? Yeah, so, uh, you know, like I said before, the technology sort of surrounding farming and urban agriculture, they're definitely changing. So a lot of the urban farms and even some community gardens now are putting up hoop houses so that they can do sort of growing season extensions so they can get out there, you know, maybe not 12 months out of the year, but they can at least extend the growing season out further. And then there's always indoor production and indoor classes and programs that can be developed. Um, You know, school would be in session in the wintertime, so you can definitely get more kids involved in that sort of thing. Where's the money coming from to do all these initiatives? What kind of budget does the city have to initiate all of these types of uh, plans? Yeah, so if this becomes adopted city policy, there's definitely you know, ways that we can work that into the general you know, activities of the departments. Um, <clears throat> I guess the money would be allocated in different ways. Uh, so, for example, in this draft recommendation three, where we're talking about expanding food enterprises, money can come from existing tools that we have at our disposal, like TIF tax increment financing. It can come uh, by way of uh, our open space impact fee for developing new farms, things along those lines. So there's existing programs that provide money for that sort of thing. The grant money, unfortunately, was only to develop the plan. Um, So once the grant term expires, you know, that money, we will have developed the plan. We would hope that we can use the plan to then approach foundations uh, the federal government to apply for more grant funding as well for implementation. Did you look at any budgets for what these kinds of things have cost all around the country who are doing these kinds of initiatives and and assigned costs to these kinds of things? Well, um, we did a fair amount of research of similar initiatives going on in different cities. Um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to speak more to what I know Uh, You know, as far as developing urban farms, for example, um, we have been talking to other cities about what that initiative costs, and we do have some good examples for uh, farms that were set up in Chicago. And again, we would then be sort of looking to existing tools to try and fund those, those types of programs. And hopefully, once we get the urban farm set up, we can then work with them. Uh, The organization that's running the farm can also use the plan, and we can work with them to apply for additional funding to fund those things. And also we're hoping that, you know, as this becomes, um, I guess, more developed, uh, you know, a lot of these urban <clears throat> urban farms will become self-sustaining so that they can grow food and help to, you know, finance their own operations as well. Uh, but we have done a fair amount of research on similar initiatives, definitely. Hello. I'm just curious, uh, when you say that about different tools, if you do have a site and you're looking at it and it may be contaminated, I mean, do you have funds for testing and cleanup and those kind of resources? Or or at least uh, where would we go to get resource information? Yeah, so finding access to resources is definitely a challenge. And I think um, when we're talking about developing city-owned property into more of a permanent site, so if it's a community garden that's going to be operated, you know, for a a long period of time, 
there's definitely ways and sources of funding that we can tap to do testing and cleanup. Um, identifying sources for more community-oriented grassroots uh, projects is definitely a bigger challenge. I mean, there may be some city funding that could be available to help out. Um, <clears throat> one of the, I guess, gaps that's sort of emerging is groups like Green Corps and, uh, you know, other uh, organizations and programs that did help community gardeners at one point are sort of going away because the funding is drying up. Um, <clears throat> there's some new programs that are sort of coming online, like I know GreenNet is working on something called Growing Forward that may help to sort of fill the gap and maybe connect community gardeners and other gardeners with resources. Um, <clears throat> but that's definitely a gap that we have to work on and focus on. Yeah. First of all, the, the plan's pretty ambitious, but it's really a good plan. Um, there's a lot of economic development drivers in the plan, a lot of uh, business, att business attraction, business development, business creation, job creation uh, components in the plan. How has uh, your department and the city uh, interacted with economic development organizations throughout the city, uh, whether they run a special service area or um, what, what, how has it been approached both for economic development nonprofits and for the uh, private sector? So what, what I think we would be doing and what we're recommending is that as we go through the local planning process that we incorporate all these types of food enterprises, all these types of strategies into the local planning process so that we can work with a specific community. And that's dealing with not only residents of the community, um, but also organizations that may be active in the communities like special service areas, um, you know, chambers of commerce, things like that. So we would want to approach them through the planning process. Um, and we're sort of doing that in our Green Healthy Neighborhoods plan. We've definitely been engaging them. Uh, that's one example of that. Um, we've also been working with nonprofit organizations that are, you know, doing urban farms in these areas. Uh, but we're definitely trying to reach out to those types of agencies to try and stimulate that kind of economic development. And it would be done through the planning process. I have, I have two two questions. One has to do with the, the obesity and asking whether or not you, you, you're trying to solve obesity by offering healthier foods and, and changing the environment. Um, does that mean then also trying them to get, get them to eat, get people to eat less as well, less sugar, less commodities? And then the, the second question has to do with broadening the scope and looking at maybe national policy. So if right now our, our tax dollars and our at the federal level are going to to support farmers that grow food for cars and cows and sugar, um, does it make sense to to broaden the scope and look at it to see if we can support smaller farmers that are growing real food? building community and, and nourishing people? Those are really good questions. Um, so the first one, I think, if I got it right. So, I mean, I don't think any one effort and I don't think anyone that's been involved is going to solve the obesity crisis. I think that's just, you know, this is just a way of trying to address it and eventually solve it. Um, so using, doing things like uh, nutrition education and making sure that people know about healthy foods is definitely one way of doing that. And then also making sure that there's options for people to access healthy foods, whether that's through a retail store or whether that's through a food pantry or something like that. You know, personal choice is something that, you know, it's definitely out there. That's an issue that we got to grapple with. But I think what the plan is sort of setting up is that we want to make sure that there's education for folks and that there are options for people to access that healthy food. Um, <clears throat> as far as the national policy, uh, specifically to growing food or gr using farmland for fuel and stuff like that, um, I mean, I think we can, uh, through the plans, some of the recommend draft recommendations that we're talking about is really partnering with farmers, not only urban growers, but also going outside of the city and trying to partner with farmers that are actually on large farmland and trying to get them to grow more food providing a market for people to 
you know, be able to access that food and actually have a market for them to sell their food in the city is one way I think that we can kind of get at that issue to make it more profitable for them to grow food rather than maybe commodities or something like that. But that is an issue, and that's something that we're going to have to deal with. Yeah. Uh, New York City's been looking at, uh, oh, so we say controlling or limiting the access to certain kinds of foods. Did you look happen to look at that? Uh, you can also, of course, look at uh, taxing uh, non-beneficial foods as well. Yeah. So that's an issue that did come up, and uh, you know we're we're kind of talking with the the different departments and the mayor's office and trying to figure out how to address that particular issue. But um, it is an issue that did come up during the discussion. And okay. Uh, thank you. When I when I came in the the um, the chart on the uh, board there, it seemed to you know, be there was a pyramid, and and it and it had you know, ed, education and and that sort of thing at the top of the pyramid, as sort of the, um, I mean, I, if I understood the the way the chart was designed, that that's sort of a low priority in terms of impact. Was that how that is? Well, according to that sort of model of looking at public health interventions, okay. that's one way to look at it, that those types of programs have a smaller impact than, say, larger programs that focus on changing the environment of a neighborhood. And I think that's – I'm definitely not a public health professional, but my understanding of it is that you reach a smaller population through counseling and education. Sometimes it's more one-on-one oriented. Sometimes it's, you know, smaller – smaller populations than actually trying to change the, you know, the built environment or the physical environment in neighborhoods. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, because I do I agree with the whole idea of, of, of the environment being a, mm-hmm. a much, you know, um, more effective way of changing attitudes and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, there, I think, you know, in, in our experience, um, at least, and it's limited, I, you know, we've had... Um, recently quite a bit of success in, you know, just actually doing cooking demonstrations on the streets in many low-income neighborhoods where, um, you know, people have um, seemed to at least be open-minded about changing their way of, let's say, um, preparing collard greens, things Mm -hmm. like that. And I'm just wondering if because it is labor-intensive in terms of getting to people you know, one-on-one or in, at least in some groups, is are we assigning it a low priority because it could be more expensive? That's all. Yeah, it, it definitely plays a role in this this plan. And, you know, that uh, the sixth recommendation is really focused on nutrition education. Um, so I, I think it's all part of the puzzle, you know, figuring that out. Uh, you know, as far as whether it's more expensive to do those types of things, you know, there's definitely a cost there. you got to get space. you got to get people to teach that sort of thing, um, you know, so there is an added cost, but it's it's something that I think has been happening and that, you know, this plan addresses that or at least acknowledges that and says that we need to do more of it. Yeah. Brett, I had a question about on the implementation side. So this is, the draft plan is really impressive in terms of how well it's cutting across so many different silos and how you've really got so many partners at the table and so many groups that seem to obviously have a voice in this conversation to be plugging into this conversation and thinking more holistically. And I think it's really interesting that your department is acting kind of at the, the pivot point for all of this. But um, traditionally speaking, uh, in large city governments like the city of Chicago, silos have gotten in the way of implementing cross-cutting initiatives. And I'm wondering if there is an implementation structure that's been discussed that would ensure that uh, there is continued collaboration and cooperation uh, across departments uh, as you're working on different aspects of the plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a lot of this kind of came out of sort of interdepartmental um, meetings and and sort of kind of breaking those silos down. Uh, There were a couple of task forces that were set up, and I know the grant application for this particular round of funding came out of, like, the Interdepartmental Task Force for Childhood Obesity. Um, So there definitely are initiatives within city government to kind of break those silos down, and I know the mayor's been kind of key on, you know, sort of, Institutionally, institutionalizing things like sustainability and those sorts of things and really getting departments to work together. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's something that we're going to continue. And there has been discussion about implementation and 
Um, you know, certainly the way we're sort of setting up the draft strategies, we have a department or a series of departments that are going to take the lead and sort of be accountable for getting those, those types of recommendations implemented. But I think also we're going to have to partner with nonprofit groups and the private sector really to get a lot of this stuff done. You know, starting new businesses, things along those lines, those, those are really functions that have to come out of the private sector or, you know, farming. It's something the city doesn't, isn't going to do. We're not going to, we're not going to be farming land. So we've got to partner with organizations that do the farming or par- find farmers to actually farm it. So, yeah. Um, pertaining to uh, urban agriculture and maybe water and more specifically water reuse, uh, is there anything that the plan um, would like to see change as far as current city of Chicago policy or maybe hopes will change um, down the road? For I'm not sure I understand the question. I guess uh, so I'm thinking of maybe uh, composting like some cities are sort of compost at a city scale um, and have great success with that, um, or water reuse. Uh, some cities are much better or have better policy that allow for um, gray water reuse at, in different ways than you can in Chicago. Yeah, so this plan doesn't necessarily focus on that, although that's sort of, I think, wrapped up in certain aspects and recommendations that are in there. Um, there are separate initiatives kind of going on to try and move that sort of that sort of thing forward. Um, composting, for instance, uh, something that uh, has come up, especially when we were dealing with the urban ag zoning. It's action. Is this cutting in and out? Okay, maybe I'm hitting it the wrong way. Uh, so that is something that we got to address, and uh, that's a sort of a function of state. Uh, regulations, and I think we need to address that type of thing as well. Um, you mentioned gray water reuse. I know there's a separate initiative going on that's looking at that. So there, those things are happening, definitely. I'd like to piggyback on the education part. Sure. I think that putting that at a tiny little top at the pyramid is a mistake. Um, most people today have not been taught, unless you're my age, I'm 60. You are not taught how to prepare food, how to eat food, how to shop for food, how to do any of that. That came out of the schools, I don't know when the last time, maybe the 1970s or 80s is the last time it was taught. There's been no funding for training in education, for healthier eating, shopping, or any of those things. Um, You have generations of people who have had working parents since the 80s two working parents or single mother parents who don't know how to cook a meal in a hurry, a fast, easy, convenient food. Um, Even if you put access, I'm going to tell you two-thirds of America is unhealthy. Two-thirds of our, you know, two-thirds of America is not food deserts. So you've got plenty of places where there's accessibility of food without people understanding how to prepare it, eat it, shop it, balance, whatever it is. And that component is essential. You just can't bring it there and they will come. You have Aldi's in food desert kinds of areas. And if you watch a shopper, they're not buying the fresher food because they don't know what to do with the fresher mm-hmm. food. So they're still putting, I, I watch consumers, they're still putting unhealthier food products into the basket. So I think that needs to be a much larger component. Maybe you're looking at it from the clinical you know, kinds of nutrition advising that's been going on, maybe the paradigm of how you teach, train, and get people excited about food has to leave the clinical sort of medical way of looking at food and take it more to a very primary of how to enjoy food and do it, you know, locally, sustainably. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I definitely think, you know, and I think as part of this plan, it's, it's definitely an essential piece, you know, that counseling and education portion improving eating habits through nutrition education is definitely integral to the plan. Um, you know, that, that CDC pyramid was developed through, you know, a public health lens and through based on research. So I can't really comment on how that all happened. But, um, you know, it's definitely a part of the plan and it's going to, you know, you know hopefully we can continue those programs and expand them as well. So. 
We have time for one more question here. Hi, I was just curious about um, some of the input from community members when you went and did all the outreach that you did. If there was widespread support for the cultivation of uh, food on parkland space, and if you included that definition of parkland space to include uh, the marginal land on some of the boulevards in our city. I, I used to work just off of Independence Boulevard, um, which runs through North Lawndale, which is a community that really could benefit from some of these things. Um, and it always seemed to me that that land was great scenery for people driving by at 40 miles an hour, but could have been a real safe space for maybe a child to ride a bicycle next to some tomato plants or something. Uh, it seemed like a really great opportunity. So I was wondering if you had A, seen widespread support, and B, um, if you had included the, those sort of margins in your definition of park district space. Yeah, so I, I think park district space is just one category that's sort of come up through that. Um, marginal spaces, I, I think stuff is happening on those areas. I know a friend of mine gardens in a, a parkway, <laughs> maybe not, not necessarily on the up and up, but they do, you know, people do maintain those sorts of spaces. Um, I think there's there's vacant land and there's marginal spaces and there's parkland and there's an ample opportunity to get those spaces to production. So they're not necessarily off the table by any means. But what we need to do is focus on the community planning piece of it. So where communities say want to adopt a parkway, we can then start to get the ball rolling on working with the different jurisdictions of who owns it. Um, you know, if it's CDOT, how do we get, you know, some sort of agreement where somebody's maintaining the parkway rather than them having to have to come and mow it or something like that if somebody's willing to take care of it and a community organization is going to do that. You know, that's certainly something that we can try and facilitate, and hopefully we will do more of that. Um, for the sake of time, we'll let that be the final word. Let's have one more round of applause for Brad. On behalf of the American Planning Association, I want to thank Brad Roback for a thought-provoking and informative program on Chicago's draft food plan. Thanks also to the many APA staff members who help make this program possible every month. Information on previous and future presentations is available on APA's website, www.planning.org, under the section called Events. I'm David Morley.